Well, what a great start to the day this was because we got to wake up watching golf. We'll talk about the Open and the last day of SEC Media Day, 4-6 to six on the tailgate. And we'll also look ahead to Friday Night Lights, one day away. Some big-time recruits expected to be in the swamp. All that and more right here on WRUF. Recruiting never stops. Friday Night Lights coming up this weekend. Welcome back to Sports Scene. Well, it is the final day of SEC Media Days today, an extravaganza that is the biggest of all of the conferences. As a matter of fact, the Pac-12 does theirs in one day. Go figure. Chris Doring was there, and uh, he now joins us to talk a little SEC football and college football in general. My man, what's happening, Chris? How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm at the airport in Birmingham right now on the way out, but it's uh, it's been a long four days, but <laughs> a, a very productive four days, and uh, I'm pretty worn out at this point, Steve. Man, the 4.45 a.m. wake-up call to be on the air at 6 o'clock local has uh, has gotten after me. And, and see, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a guy that likes to hang out with the boys. I had to turn <laughs> Pat Dooley and Frank Frangie down in the bar the other night just because I had to get to bed before 11 o'clock. Yeah, you know, that, that, that work stuff always gets in the way, Chris. No, I, I don't understand. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let, let's, you know, very rarely, and you know, I, I went there all the time for I don't know how many years, and rarely does real news come out of this thing. But just an overall impression, Chris, any thoughts coming out of this thing? Yeah, a couple things that, that come to mind. First of all, nine quarterbacks uh, came to Hoover with their coaches, and uh, it, it's it's crazy how much a, a, a difference a season can make. Because remember, last year we were we went at about half the schools with uh, quarterback battles going on through through training camp. Now, uh, nine schools feel really good about uh, their quarterbacks as their unquestioned leaders. Uh, the quarterback as a whole. I mean, think about it, Arkansas. You got a couple of transfers and Ben Hicks and and uh, Nick Starkle there battling for that job. Um, you know, you, you think about the, the quarterback battle at, at Auburn with Nicks and, and Gatewood, but that's that's kind of the minority. The uh, the story really is that this is a year that I think can have some some uh, offensive advantage because of these uh, experienced quarterbacks on that side of the ball. And I think the other thing that I took away was all fourteen of the coaches returned from last year. And uh, all 14 of them looked really comfortable. And, and it's not so much what they say at uh, media days that stands out to me. It's how they say it. And uh, I think about a guy like Will Muschamp, who at times at Florida was not very comfortable in front of the media, has uh, definitely developed that skill through his years at, at Florida and then now in, in Columbia. Um, a guy like, like Jeremy Pruitt he goes up there and goes on about a 21-minute filibuster admitting that he doesn't feel comfortable in front of the media, but uh, wanted to minimize the, the amount of questions that were able to be answered from him. But as a whole, just uh, really impressed with all of the coaches that we have in this league now. And it really reminds me a lot of the basketball side of things in our conference. I mean, I think the reason you saw the, the success over the last couple of years, eight teams getting to the NCAA tournament, uh, is because of, of all the experience and, and the resume uh, that those coaches in the basketball world have. And I think we're getting to a point where, there's some pretty uh, respectable coaches in the, on the football side as well. You know, it's funny you mentioned Pruitt because I just thought, mm-hmm. okay, he's going to stop now. He's going to stop now. <laughs> he's going to stop. And, and he didn't. So let, let's talk Tennessee. You know, yesterday we were doing the show and somebody called and, and asked Shane and me, you know, is Tennessee really a rival for Florida anymore? And I said the answer is no, that they're not. And you know how it used to be, that opening game, yeah. first week, you know, where do you think Tennessee is, Chris, in the rebuilding process? 
It is interesting, isn't it? Because Michael P. Ryan was asked that question. Is Tennessee a rival? And I got to be honest with you, it hurt my heart to hear him say that it's not a rival anymore and to acknowledge LSU. Now, that's a rival. Well, it was just the opposite. When I was in school, in the, in the mid-'90s, LSU was terrible. We beat them easily and just about every time we played them. And, um, and it was Tennessee that was really the, the deciding factor. You, you remember that game. Sure. In early September – um, so much on the line, not only in the Eastern Division, but more times than not, not only was that the winner of that game going to get to Atlanta, but was typically the, the winner in Atlanta. And so the implications within the conference, the implications nationally, all being decided between two teams that prior to 1990 didn't really have a history of playing one another. And it was it was almost an instant rivalry in 92 when the divisions were, the conference was split up into divisions. So it is sad, uh, but I do think Tennessee has the right guy. He may not have been their first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth choice, but they found the right guy, a guy that that, that knows how to coach ball, that is a blue-collar, hard worker, bring-your-lunch-pail-to-work to kind of guy, and uh, somebody that I think brought accountability to that program last year, changed the culture, got some of those guys out there that weren't on board, and you saw them making strides as the season went on, pulled an upset at Auburn, able to knock off Kentucky. I think this year with the addition of Jim Chaney, uh, hopefully for their sake, uh, a year where they can – um, improve on the offensive line because that was really the weak point for them last year. They've got to improve on both sides of the ball, but I think they're headed in the right direction. I think just getting bowl eligible this year is a realistic goal for that program. You know, you look at the West, and, and I don't want to talk Alabama here, Chris, but it's it's interesting to me what Jimbo Fisher brings to Texas A&M. He has a confident, if not cocky quarterback who says he thinks he's the best quarterback in the league. He just got a, a terrific 2020 class quarterback. Uh, do you think they have overtaken LSU, or do you think that's still a work in progress? Well, first off, I, I think the question when it was posed to Kellen Mond is ridiculous. I mean, what's he supposed to say? No, I'm not the best quarterback. Exactly. I'm fifth or sixth in the league. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a, a joke that I was even asked of him, but – yeah, again, I hate to look back in the rearview mirror, but it, uh, this time last year, I, I thought it was going to be Nick Starkle that was going to be the, head, the, uh, the the quarterback that would win that competition. And not only did, did Kellen Mond come out on top, he he actually thrived. And I think a lot of people would, would put him as the number three quarterback in the conference heading into to this season. Um, I think he's still got some work to do, can improve his accuracy a little bit. But they got a really talented group of wide receivers. And Jimbo Fisher as you mentioned, is putting together some really good recruiting classes. Now, with that being said, I think they could be a better team this year than last year, but I don't know that their record will reflect it. Given the challenging nature of their schedule, I mean, they, they are, are going to be fortunate, um, in my opinion, to, to get to eight wins this season. So uh, you, you wanted me to compare them to LSU. That's a team last year that we had the biggest disparity in terms of what we felt like their ceiling could be versus what their floor could be because of all the questions. You know, the receiver position was a big question mark quarterback was a question mark running back was a question mark and in every case everything came out smelling like roses at each of those positions and i think they far overachieved what most people were giving them credit uh for heading into the season Ed Orgeron, by some reports was a guy that was on the hot seat now he's firmly entrenched and, and uh in in that area uh doing a great job recruiting as we we've always expected him to do but i really feel like that lsu uh much like florida i, I, I put those two teams kind of in the same boat where last year they had big question marks both probably overachieved a little bit both had quarterbacks that uh did better than expected and and, and are coming back to build on that success last year and i believe both are, are probably the second teams in their respective divisions and each of them i think has a chance to, to potentially overtake 
uh, Alabama on LSU's side and, and, and Georgia on Florida's side. Chris Doring Georges, he's uh, getting ready to leave SEC Media Days after a whirlwind four days of work. Chris, I'll, I'll end with two last questions. You know, a lot of fans now are looking at Georgia, and some Gator fans don't want to admit that you know Georgia may be the team to beat. But in your view, how good is Georgia? What could derail them? Let me let me say this first, uh, Steve. I, I think Georgia is the team to beat in the East. But let's not forget. I mean, Kentucky won ten games last year, breaking that thirty-one year streak of, of losses to the Gators. I think Missouri's got a chance to be this year's version of Kentucky from last year. You look at their schedule. They very well may, may be 8-0 when they head to Athens to play Georgia in the ninth game of the season. Um, that's a team that I, I would – if I'm a Florida fan, I'm worried about them. The last two years combined, the Gators have lost by 50 points. Uh, it is um, – it's, it's, it, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, Florida just has not played well against Missouri. they got to go there in November. Uh, but I think to your point, Georgia is considered the cream of the crop, not only in the East but in the conference, and a lot of people have them in the college football playoff discussion heading into the season. So um, a veteran quarterback and Jake Fromm returning the best offensive line in the entire conference, maybe in, t- in the entire country. DeAndre Swift, the guy that I, I've already said, I, I, I'm picking him to win the Heisman Trophy this year because of what he can do, not only running the ball, but, but catching the ball out of the backfield, lining up in the slot, moving them all over to create matchup issues. Um, and then defensively, they replaced eight guys from that team that went to the national championship game two years ago those guys got some experience. They've got to find a little bit better way to get some pass rush because they're they're uh, they were one of the worst in the conference when it came to uh, to sacks, which uh, I know Kirby Smart was upset about and talked to us about on set the other day. But uh, the thing for Gator fans to remember, I think Georgia was running away with the division uh, just two years ago. Florida four wins uh, and and back away in final season there. The recruiting classes that that uh, Kirby was putting together seemed to be widening that gap between themselves and, and everybody else in the conference and then Dan Mellon comes in wins 10 games puts together a good recruiting class of his own and has taken a little page out of Spurrier's book and, and throwing some barbs towards his rivals including Georgia and I think that game against uh, Georgia last year at the cocktail party even though Florida lost and I don't believe in moral victories but I think they look back and say it was a one possession game heading into the fourth quarter we missed a flea flicker early in the game we fumbled on our own one yard line and yet we were still in that ball game against a team that is one of the best in the entire country. I think they gained some confidence from that, and I think that Dan Mullen does a great job of helping to remind them of just how good they are. All right, my final thing to you, my friend, two parts. Your thoughts on the transfer portal, because I don't think that's going – they've made it more difficult, I guess, to you know get immediate eligibility, but I don't think it's going anywhere, so I'll ask your opinion of that. And then – well, I'll let you answer that first. Go ahead. I don't have a problem with the transfer portal. What I have a problem with is the NCAA's inconsistency when it comes to granting eligibility to play right away. I mean, you look at at, at what happened with um, you know a couple of the guys here, Tate Martell being able to play immediately because his coach left. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense um, why there's not more consistency. I know they said they're going to provide more documentation. That That's all just smoke right there because – uh, whoever's interpreting that information and documentation, they need to be more clear and more consistent on, on how they're passing those waivers out. Um, in terms of, in terms of um, going forward, I think that this is such a new uh, phenomenon in college football that now that, that there's going to be a larger sample size and more kids hopefully see that the grass is not always greener with names being put into the transfer portal, 
that end up at worse schools or in some cases at no schools. Um, hopefully that serves as a cautionary tale to some of these folks to, to remind them that, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with staying put and putting in the work and persevering. As you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts and what he did last year in, in helping to, you know, save their season against uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game, that's the way it was when I was in school. You came in with the mindset you're going to most likely redshirt, you're going to be here for five years, and you're going to have to play behind some upperclassmen and earn your spot. And uh, coaches have kind of done it to themselves with the way they recruit kids nowadays. The media has done it as well and overexposing them at such a young age. And a lot of it has to do with just the, uh, the, the generational difference and, and the idea that instant gratification is, uh, is required in every circumstance. But um, I hope that there are some tweaks made. I, I certainly believe that um, it's probably not going to get much better, and it's just something we're going to have to figure out how to manage going forward. Final thing, Miami. I, I think a lot of Gator fans just penciled in a win there, and I get it because they were so awful offensively. But defensively, they were pretty good, and they got some guys back on defense. I, I don't think this is something you just pencil in a win, do you? I don't think so either, and I think a lot of it has to do with what we talked about, you know, the offensive line. I mean, it was, <laughs> if you don't find a way to figure out how to create some chemistry and continuity on that uh, offensive line where you're probably going to have to be playing some, some freshmen, uh, that's not ideal heading into a season, not ideal playing in the SEC, not ideal having to play against a, a Miami school that – it has a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. So to think that Florida's going to roll the balls out there and show up and, and win, I think we'd be a little bit uh, naive to believe that would be the case. But I am excited about it, man, to kick off the 150-year anniversary against Miami. And you know, Steve, I had grown up in Gainesville. Both my parents are from Miami, both attended <laughs> the University of Florida. We used to go down to the Orange Bowl to watch the Gators play against the Canes when that was a, a yearly rival, uh, a yearly rivalry. Uh, I one of my big regrets about my time in Florida was not getting a chance to ever play the Hurricanes. So I'm, I'm excited about this matchup from the homer perspective, but looking at it from an unbiased uh, set of eyes here, I would definitely say that is a uh, it's going to be a challenge for Florida. And there's some there's some things that that uh, Florida needs to uh, to prove to me. I, I think they do get better this year, but with the addition of Miami to the schedule with Florida having to play LSU and Auburn from the West this year, the improvement of, of teams in the Eastern Division. Let's not forget the East won the series against the West last year. Yep. So the competition isn't getting any easier. And uh, just like I said about Texas A&M, they could be a better team, and the record may not reflect it. I think that, that same thing could be the case for the Gators as well. Okay. Chris Doring, always a pleasure to have him here, and we will certainly talk to him further when the SEC cranks up. Safe journey home, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Great talking to you, man. You got it, Chris. Thank you. He's done a great job uh, and knows his stuff, too, Chris Doring. The rest of the time is ours. Pick up the phone, write me an email, Facebook Live us a question. Miss Breel, pass it along. 134, time check brought to you by Hayes Jewelry, ESPN, 98.1 FM, 850 AM, WRUF.